Chapter Thirteen of Doors of the Night by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, The Cipher Message. Billy Kane's hands came from his pockets again, and he leisurely lighted a cigarette. Though sitting sideways to the door, he nevertheless unostentatiously commanded a full view of the entrance. Red Vallon had just entered and after a moment's pause in which the man's eyes searched around the dance-hall, was coming forward, threading his way through the intervening tables. Billy Kane flung a short nod of recognition in the direction of the approaching gangster, and then his eyes fastened in a sort of hard, curious expectancy on the street door again. Whether or not it was intuition or premonition, induced by what had happened the previous night when Red Vallon had been followed, he did not know. But he was somehow prepared now, a little more than prepared, almost sure, in fact, that there would be a repetition of last night's occurrence. Red Vallon dropped into the seat vacated by Whitey Jack. "'Hello, Bundy!' he greeted affably. "'Hello, Red.' The response was purely mechanical. Billy Kane shifted his cigarette from one corner of his mouth to the other to hide a smile in which there was no humor. His intuition, if it were intuition, had not been at fault. A woman had just entered the dance-hall. He was not likely to mistake that slim, graceful figure, nor those dark, steady eyes that were spanning the room and resting upon him. He could not see the lurking mockery in those eyes. The distance was a little too great for that, but his imagination could depict it readily enough, nor did it require much imagination." It was the woman in black. He glanced at Red Vallon. Red Vallon's back was turned to the door, and he had quite evidently not observed her. The beer-stained attendant hurried to the table. "'What'll you have, Red?' inquired Billy Kane pleasantly. Red Vallon waved the man away. "'Nix,' he said in a lowered voice. "'I got to beat it. I got to meet Bertie Rose. There's something doing.' Billy Kane, even as he watched that trim figure make its way to a table near the wall on a line with his own, leaned abruptly, eagerly forward toward Red Vallon. He felt his pulse throb and quicken. Luck seemed to be breaking wide open at last. If, coupled with his own clue, Red Vallon and Bertie Rose had unearthed another, this infernal masquerade that threatened his life at every turn was as good as ended. "'What is it?' he demanded sharply. "'Have you spotted the stones?' Red Vallon shook his head. Uh, "'Not them stones,' he said a little uneasily. Uh, "'Some others. I got orders.' Billy Kane's face hardened. "'Orders?' he echoed shortly. "'Didn't I tell you last night that everything else was piker stuff? A half million in rubies, that's what we're after. To the limit, understand? To the limit. Orders. Who gave you any orders except to stick to the game?' "'You know,' said Red Vallon, and pushed a sheet of paper across the table. "'Tear it up when you're through. That's no good to me any more. I just wanted to show it to you so you'd know I wasn't sidestepping on my own.' Billy Kane did not tear it up. His face, still set hard, showed no other signs of emotion as his eyes studied the paper, but inwardly they came a sort of numbed dismay. It was a code message. It meant nothing to him in one sense. In another it meant a very great deal. He was supposed to know what this jumble of letters signified. Red Vallon expected him to know. To arouse Red Vallon's suspicion for an instant was simply and literally 
equivalent to bringing down the underworld upon him, and the underworld would be as gentle and merciful as a pack of starving wolves. The jumble of letters seemed to possess a diabolical leer all their own as he stared at them. Was it a code that, with the key in one's possession, one could read at a glance? He did not know. Was it a code that required elaborate and painstaking effort to decipher? He did not know. Did Red Vallon, sitting there across the table watching him, expect him to give instant indication that the code message was plain and intelligible to him? He did not know. There was only one course to take, the middle course. He laid the paper on the table, and laid his clenched fist over the paper, as he leaned further over, truculently, toward Red Vallon. "'I tell you again that everything else is piker stuff,' he said angrily. "'Do you get me? What have you done, you and Birdie and the rest? Have you got anywhere today? Do you know where that secretary guy Billy Kane is? Do you know where those rubies are?' "'No,' said Red Vallon hurriedly. "'We haven't turned up anything yet, but—' "'But you're going to, by nosing around after something else.' snapped Billy Kane. Do you think I'm going to see the biggest thing that was ever pulled slip through my fingers? If you do, you've got another thing coming. Things have changed since I've been away, huh? How long since there's been any monkeying with what I dope out? Don't get sore, Bundy, said Red Vallon appeasingly. It's nothing like that. You know how it was. Carlin's arrest last night queered everything. That cursed snitch with the mask on put everything on the rough. There wasn't any meeting. You know who sent that code there. Well, he didn't know about the other job, or, or that he was butting in on you. Tumble? There ain't nothing to be sore about, Bundy. Say, me and Bertie ain't going to be more than an hour or two doing this trick anyhow. Someone of the Mole's gang must have leaked. Or maybe one of the boys piped him off. I don't know. But we got him cold this trip. He's a slick one, all right. And he's been getting away with the goods quite a lot lately and giving us the laugh. Oh, you know all about that. Well, this is where he doesn't laugh, see? He's pulling a nice one tonight. Got it all fixed up to make it look like somebody else did it. Sure. Well, we're not kicking at that so long as we get the loot. Sure. We'll let him pull it. All right. All right. Believe me. Billy Kane appeared to be unmoved. He studied the gangster coldly. "'And how does it happen that you and Bertie, out of all the rest, are picked for this?' Red Vallon indulged in an ugly grin. "'Cause we know the Mole down to the ground,' he said. "'But principally because the Mole knows us. "'There won't be any fooling when we spring a showdown. "'He's wise to that, and he'll come across. "'And besides, can only Bertie and me. "'I'm taking some of my own gang along as well.' Billy Kane scowled. It probably mattered very little indeed that Red Vallon's efforts were to be sidetracked for the next few hours, and should he, Billy Kane, during that time be successful, it mattered not at all. But his play for the moment was to preserve his role in Red Vallon's eyes, to keep away from anything intimate concerning the purport of this cipher message that still lay beneath his clenched hand, and that might so easily betray his ignorance, and above all now to get rid of Red Vallon before any such awkward and dangerous impasse could arise. He shrugged his shoulders, but his voice was still sullen as he spoke. "'Well, go to it,' he growled. "'Go and pick up your chicken feed. But you get this into your nut, Red, and let it soak there. After this,' 
He leaned far over the table, his face thrust almost into Red Valens. You stay with the game every minute, or quit. It's the limit, or quit. There's just one thing that counts, those rubies, or the man who pinched them. If we get the man, he'll cough red, <laughs> the stones, or blood. Do you think I'm going to let anything queer me on a share of half a million? You don't seem to get what I mean when I say the limit. Look out, I don't give you an object lesson. Red Vallon licked his lips and drew back a little. There was something in Red Vallon's eyes that was not often there. Fear. Ah, it's all right, Bundy, he said with nervous eagerness. I'm with you, sure I am. This thing must have broke loose quick, and that was no idea of crabbing anything else you'd started. I got ten of the best of them combing out the fences for you right now. All right, responded Billy Kane gruffly. Make a report to me on that before morning. Where'll you be? Red Vallon was apparently relieved, for his voice had recovered its buoyancy. At my place, sometime, said Billy Kane curtly. You can wait for me there. He smiled suddenly with grim facetiousness. My shoulder's a lot better, even so that maybe I can sit in for a hand myself tonight. I hope you do, said Red Vallon fervently. You always had the knockout punch, Bundy, and it seems like old times. He half rose from his chair, then, looking furtively about him, bent forward over the table. There's something else, Bundy, before I go. That snitch last night at Jerry's, the man in the mask. He's played hell with the crowd. There's no telling what'll tumble down behind Carlin. And it don't look like he's just stumbled on that deal by accident. It don't look good, Bundy. We gotta get him, and get him quick before he pulls anything more. The word's out to bump him off. Billy Kane nodded. Well, don't lose your nerve over it, Red, he said coolly. If it was by accident, he won't do us any more damage, and we've only got to settle with him for what he's done, providing we can ever find him. If it wasn't accident, he'll show his hand again, won't he? Yes, said Red Vallon. Billy Kane's smile was unpleasant. Well, you will know what to do with him then, won't you? he inquired softly. The gangster's red-rimmed eyes narrowed to slits. Yes, I'll know said Red Vallon coarsely. He made an ugly motion toward his throat. Well, so long, Bundy. Billy Kane nodded again by way of answer. He watched Red Vallon thread his way back among the tables and pass out through the front door. With the gangster out of the way, he picked up the sheet of paper upon which the code message was written, studied it for a moment, then thrust it into his pocket, and his glance traveled to the table opposite to him against the wall, where that slim little figure in black was seated. She appeared to be quite indifferent to his presence, and quite intent upon the consumption of a glass of milk and the sandwich on the plate before her. Billy Kane smiled with grim comprehension. The frugality of the meal was not without its object. It was fairly obvious that she could dispose of what was before her in short order, and leave the place at an instant's notice without inviting undesirable attention to an unfinished meal, if she so desired. It was his move. She had followed Red Vallon in, but she had not followed Red Vallon out. She was waiting for him, Billy Kane. The seat she had chosen had been in plain view of Red Vallon. Therefore, she was evidently free from any fear of recognition on the part of the gangster, and as a logical corollary from probably anybody else in the room. That she gave no sign now, therefore, could mean but one thing. It was his move. 
If he cared to cross swords with her here, he was at liberty to do so. If he had reasons of his own for preferring a less public meeting, he had only to leave the place, and she would undoubtedly follow. In one sense, she was most solicitous of his welfare. She would do nothing to hamper or hinder him in protecting himself as long as he continued to double-cross and render abortive the crimes of the inner circle of the underworld in which she believed him to be a leader. Failing that, as she had already made it quite clear, she proposed, as near as he could solve the riddle, to expose some past crime of the rats to the police, and end his career via the death-chair in Sing Sing. Also, she had made her personal feelings toward him equally clear. She held for him a hatred that was as deep-seated as it was merciless and deadly. He shrugged his shoulders. He, by proxy, stood in the shoes of one who seemingly had done her some irreparable wrong, and since she would dog him all night until she had had the interview that she evidently proposed to have, it might as well be here as anywhere. It mattered very little to him, as the rat, that he should be observed by those in the room to get up from his table and walk over to hers. He was not being watched in the sense that anyone held surveillance over him, and in any case the conventions here in the heart of the underworld were of too elastic a character to have it cause even comment. And besides, in a few hours from now, if luck were with him, he would be through with all this, done with the miserable role of super-crook, which, though it brought a new and greater peril at every move he made, was the one thing that, for the present, he was dependent upon for his life. He rose, crossed the room nonchalantly, and dropped as nonchalantly into the chair at the end of her table, his back to the door. She greeted him with a smile, but it was a smile of the lips only. The dark eyes under the long lashes studied him in a cold, uncompromising stare, and there was mockery in their depths, but deeper than the mockery there was contempt and disdain. A cigarette pulled lazily from his pocket and lighted preserved his appearance of unconcern. In spite of himself, in spite of the fact that that contemptuous stare was his only through a damnable and abhorrent proxy, he felt suddenly ill at ease. He had never seen her as closely as this before. He had only seen her twice before, once in the dark, and once with the width of the rat's den separating them. He had been conscious then that she was attractive, beautiful, with her clustering masses of brown hair, and the dainty poise of her head and the pure whiteness of her full throat, but he was conscious now that beyond the mere beauty of features lay steadfastness and strength, that in the sweetness of the face there was, too, a wistfulness, do what she would to hide it, and that there was strain there and weariness. And he was suddenly conscious, too, that he disliked the role of the rat more than he had ever disliked it, and that the loathing in those eyes, which never left his face, was responsible for this added distaste of the fact that nature had through some cursed and perverted sense of humor, or malevolence, seen fit to make him the counterpart of a wanton rogue, and worse still, seen fit to force upon him the enactment of that role. He could not tell her that he was not the rat, could he? That he was Billy Kane? Would the loathing in those eyes have grown the less at that? Billy Kane, the thief, the Judas assassin, 
whose name was a byword throughout the length and breadth of the land at that moment, whose name was a synonym for everything that was vile and hideous and depraved. He was the rat. Until tonight was over. After that? Well, after that, who knew? Now he was the rat, and he must play the rat's part. She broke the silence, her voice cool and even. I left it entirely to you as to whether you would come over to this table here or not. I quite understood. Billy Kane forced a sarcastic smile. You are almost too considerate. Am I? she said. Her eyes flashed suddenly. Well, perhaps you are right. I have thought sometimes that even the chance I give you is more than you deserve. I feel so strongly about it, in fact, that the only thing which prevents me from putting an end to it, and you, is that by using you to defeat the ends of your own criminal associates, a great deal of good is being done. They will trap you some time, of course, and knowing them, you know what will happen, and I am satisfied, then, that as an alternative you would prefer Sing Sing in the chair. But you are clever. That is why you grasp at the chance I give you. Oh, you are extremely clever. And you believe you can continue to outwit them indefinitely. I don't think you can, though I admit your cleverness, cunning, and craft. You flatter me, said Billy Kane ironically. No, she said, her voice suddenly lowered, passionate, tense. I hate you. You told me that last night. You told me that last night. Billy Kane indolently blew a ring of cigarette smoke ceiling words. I am beginning to believe you. Did you follow Red Vallon in here to tell me the same thing again? She did not answer for a moment. Sometimes you make me lose my faith in God, she said in a slow, restrained way. It is hard to believe that a God, a just God, could have created such men as you. Billy Kane removed his cigarette from his lips and flicked the ash away with a tap of his forefinger. He felt the color mount and tinge his cheeks. There was something, not alone in her words, but in her tone, that struck at him and hurt. The brown eyes, deep, full of implacable condemnation, burned into his. What was it that the rat had done to her, or hers? He turned slightly away. An anger, smoldering in his soul, burst into flames. He was the rat by proxy, and the proxy was damnable. He could not tell her he was not the rat. He could not tell her he was Billy Kane. He must play on with his detestable role. He must play the rat. What answer would the rat have made to her? Cut that out, rasped Billy Kane. Yes, she said quietly. I spoke impulsively. There are only two things in life that affect you, your own safety, and to be quite sure that you get all of your share out of your crimes, and, if possible, somebody else's share as well. But the latter consideration is at an end now, isn't it, Bundy? I think I have taken care of that. It's just a question of whether you can save yourself or not with those clever wits of yours. Well, she shrugged her shoulders suddenly, you did very well last night. His life would not be worth very much if the underworld should ever lay hands on the man in the mask. Would it, Bundy? He did not answer her. Yes, you did very well indeed, she went on calmly. You will meet somewhere else, of course, as soon as you can find a suitable place, but you will hold no more of your secret council meetings at Jerry's for some time to come. 
Billy Kane's face was impassive now. He was apparently intent only on the thin blue spiral of smoke that curled upward from the tip of his cigarette. So those meetings of that cursed directorate of crime had been held at Jerry's, had they? He had not known that. Well, suppose, suggested Billy Kane curtly, that we come to the point. What is it that you want tonight? I am coming to the point, she answered levelly. Owing to the events of last night, your organization is in confusion. Some of the more faint-hearted of your partners have temporarily even taken to their heels. But even so, the organization's activities can hardly come to an abrupt standstill. You will perhaps remember a somewhat similar occasion once before. There are perhaps certain matters that are imperative, that cannot wait. Is that not so, Bundy? And in such an emergency it is left to, uh, shall we call him the organization's secretary, to keep things going. Personal touch is lost with one another, but there is still a way. I know it does not matter now that Red Vallon received a written order a little while ago. I followed Red Vallon here. I think he gave that order to you. Billy Kane looked at her for a moment, a quizzical, whimsical expression creeping into his face. She was in deadly earnest, he knew that well. And yet there was a certain sense of humor here, too. A grim humor with something of the sardonic in it, and nothing of mirth. Red Vallon's code order was quite as meaningless to him as it would be to her. Sure, said Billy Kane, alias the rat, and chuckled. <laughs> sure, he gave it to me. You don't think I'd hold anything out on you, do you? Sure, he gave it to me. He tossed the paper across the table toward her. Help yourself. All you gotta do is ask for anything I got, and it's yours. You're as welcome as the sunshine to it. She studied it for an instant, calmly. Billy Kane, watching her narrowly, frowned slightly in a puzzled way. She appeared to be neither agitated nor confused. She raised her eyes to his, a glint half of mockery, half of menace, in their brown depths. Did you think I did not know it was in cipher? She inquired coldly. You would hardly have been so obliging otherwise, would you? It is always in cipher under these circumstances, isn't it? Well, what is the translation? Red Vallon didn't tell me, said Billy Kane complacently. Oh, quite probably not, she countered sharply. It was hardly necessary, was it? But since you have decoded it yourself? Billy Kane shrugged his shoulders. I've been away so long, he said, that I've forgotten the key. Really? She was smiling at him in derision now. In other words, you refuse to tell me what it is. Don't you think you expect a little too much from me? He forced a sudden roughness into his tones. I haven't decoded it yet, as a matter of fact. But if I had, do you think I'm looking for trouble to give you the chance to force me into another mess? She shook her head in a sort of mocking tolerance. Does it really matter, Bundy? She said softly. You are not as bright this evening as usual. I know that some crime is planned and set forth here on this paper. It really makes no vital difference to me to know beforehand specifically just what that crime is, for if it succeeds I shall know about it, and in that case I shall equally know that you did not prevent it. I think you quite understand what that means, don't you, Bundy? However, she smiled again as she opened her purse and took out a pencil, let us put it down to a woman's insatiable curiosity, if you like, and decode it together. Decode it? 
The twisted smile that came to his lips was genuine enough. He couldn't decode it. He had only one card to play, a flat and unequivocal refusal. Nothing doing, he snarled. Oh, yes, I think there is, she said softly again. He stared at her. Her pencil was flying across the paper. Who was this woman? She knew the key. Was there anything that she did not know? He watched her in a stunned way, his mind in confusion, and then he leaned forward to observe her work more closely. It is so simple, Bundy, she murmured caustically. The numerals to designate the number of letters in the words, the transposition of A for B, and so on, and the words spelled backward. It is so simple, Bundy, that it is strange you should have forgotten, and forgotten that there are other secrets I have found out in that den of yours, apart from that very convenient and ingenious door. She was working as she spoke, paying no attention to him. He made no reply, only watched her as she set down a second series of letters. A moment more, and she had written out the message in plain English. Duchy Vetter received consignment diamonds $10,000 today from Amsterdam. Have information the mole is laying a plant to get them tonight between 8 and 9 o'clock and divert suspicion to someone else. Run the mole to earth and make him cough up. She was studying the paper in her hand. Billy Kane lighted another cigarette. He was still watching her, but it was in a detached sort of way, between eight and nine o'clock. Peters was rarely able to leave the Ellsworth home on his evenings off until well after eight o'clock. Peters, therefore, would not reach his flat much before nine, and certainly was not likely to leave there again immediately. Billy Kane's mind was working in quick and seemingly unrelated snatches of thought, there was time enough to see this better game through without interfering with that interview he meant to hold with Peters. It was strange that it should be Vetter. Whitey Jack had spoken of Vetter. Savnak, the violin player, and Vetter. Whitey Jack said that Savnak and Vetter spent most of their evenings together at Vetter's playing Pinochle and the violin. Savnak would likely be there between eight and nine. Upon whom was it that the so-called mole intended to point suspicion? Here was the moral obligation again. He had fought that out last night. She, this woman here, was not the driving force. She only represented disaster from an entirely different source if he failed. If he stood aside with the foreknowledge of crime in his possession, he was as guilty as this mole. Perhaps he had been trying to trick his own conscience in not pressing Red Vallon for explanations. Perhaps, in a measure, he had allowed the argument that he might invite Red Vallon's suspicions to act as an excuse for evading the responsibility that his foreknowledge of crime entailed. Well, that responsibility was his now, thanks to her. He had no choice. It was likely to be the man in the mask again. And... She pushed the paper toward him. "'Perhaps you would like to destroy this, for safety's sake,' she observed complacently. He took the paper mechanically and mechanically tore it up. "'I do not know the mole personally,' she was speaking almost more to herself than to him, as though feeling her way cautiously along a tortuous mental path. "'I only know him as an exceedingly clever scoundrel, 
and as the head of a small but very select band of criminals. He is a sort of competitor of yours, I believe, and more than once has had the temerity to act as a thorn in the side of your own rapacious and diabolical crime trust. But I do know that this better is an honest old man. It would be too bad. Her voice, still low, was suddenly vibrant with a significance that there was no mistaking. If Vetter should lose his diamonds, wouldn't it, Bundy? The spiral of cigarette smoke again occupied Billy Kane. It was quite true that his mind was already made up, but for the moment he was the rat, and the rat would not be likely to accede to her suggestion with any overwhelming degree of complacency. "'You're a little inconsistent, aren't you?' he inquired sarcastically. "'If you are so anxious to prevent the crime, why don't you warn the police?' "'You can put down my inconsistency to the frailty of my sex again, if you like,' she answered quickly. "'But you know quite well why. And besides, one Bundy Morgan, having more at stake than the police, is more likely to accomplish the task successfully. Yes, Bundy?' "'But this isn't my hunt,' he protested with a snarl. Well, "'I can't stop all the crimes in the world. This isn't my crowd. I'm not responsible for the mole.' I don't know his plans. How can I put the crimp in them? The game is to let the mole go ahead, isn't it? And then Red Valen is to grab the chestnuts out of the mole's pocket. Well, that's all right. But suppose I butt in, and knowing nothing about the mole's plan, fall down and he gets away with the goods and is too sharp for Red Valen, so that I can't even get the loot away from Red. Am I responsible? I'm not unreasonable, she said and smiled. There is a good deal of truth in what you say, but there is a way to provide against both contingencies. The snarl was still in his voice. What is it? he demanded. Steal the diamonds yourself before the mole gets to work, she proposed calmly. Billy Kane's gasp was wholly genuine. What? he ejaculated. You've plenty of time, she said sweetly. Vetter's isn't far from here, and it's not much more than half-past seven now. The diamonds can be returned to Vetter tomorrow. After having had them stolen once, I think Vetter could be trusted to put them somewhere where neither the mole nor anyone else would be likely to succeed a second time. But I don't know where the diamonds are now. His voice was helpless in spite of himself. She lifted her shoulders. Neither do I, she said imperturbably. Well, you've got your nerve, he burst out, and it was Billy Kane, not the rat, who spoke. The interview, as far as she was concerned, was evidently at an end. She had resumed her frugal meal, and was picking daintily at the sandwich on her plate. Her eyebrows arched. "'I hope you've got yours,' she murmured. He stood up. He could have laughed ironically, and likewise he could have sworn. She was distractingly pretty, as she sat there, quite the mistress of herself, but her profound and utter disregard as to how the perilous project might result for him personally brought suddenly a vicious sweep of anger upon him. And abruptly, without a word, he swung from the table and made his way toward the door. But the few steps cleared his brain a little, brought things into sharper focus. After all, he had forgotten. To her, he was the rat, and the rat, he did not question it, merited little of either mercy or consideration at her hands. At the door he looked back. She nodded to him pleasantly and smiled, not in the manner of one who might uh, very well be sending another to his death. "'Well, I'll be damned,' 
muttered Billy Kane, and, opening the door, stepped out to the street. End of chapter 13